Hello, Toby Haydock here. I've been deemed to look too cuddly on this podcast, so for the next one, I shall be redesigned to look more fierce. Well, hello everybody. It's a beautiful sunny day, and uh, this is a very exciting one because uh, one of the things I wanted to do for this was to talk to people that have never spoken about Doctor Who. And thanks to the writer Mark Morris, I've got in touch with another alliterative gentleman with a Doctor Who uh, connection. So I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. My name is Malcolm Middleton. I was at the BBC, started the BBC at 62, and I believe the Doctor Who episodes that I did, which was The Abominable Snowman, I think took place in 67. 67, yeah. Uh, now, I've I got to tell you, I cannot remember whether I was still at the BBC or whether I'd just gone freelance. simple reason is I was on a five-year contract, and the last six months of my contract I was doing the director's course. So I'm not too sure whether I was independent by that time or not. Because it interests because I noticed you'd moved, you'd moved back. You did the director's course, but you didn't become a director-director? I did quite a few commercials. Right, right. But you'd, and had you done a sort of apprenticeship for the, for the Bee? What, what, had been, what had led you to be at the Bee? I was at uh, an art college in Birmingham and decided that, uh, or my tutors decided I should have a go at the uh, Royal College. So I went to the Royal College for three years. Um, the film course was just starting, or we were in part of the film course. There was Ridley Scott, myself, Norman Vertigan, Philip Harrison, a few others who sort of started the, the so-called film school. And then after the college, when we had our exhibitions, one or two of the guys went to, as it was, I think, then ABC television, I was uh, picked to go to the BBC. So I started the BBC in 1962. And one of the things you did, it's interesting you mentioned Ridley Scott, was because before Doctor Who you did one of its sort of sister programmes, Adam Adamant Lives, and one of those episodes was directed by Ridley Scott, who had been a designer and then became a director. He was in fact in the same year as myself. Um, and curiously enough, one of the things that I designed was Adam Adamant Lives, um, which I think I've got a detail here. Somewhere down there, it's noted. Yeah. So it's in my little list here. On your, yeah, you've got, we've, we've, we've got, a, we've got a, big, a file, yeah, a, a, a file of all, all, the, uh, all the credits and some telesnaps there from Doctor Who. Uh, there is the six episodes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, the six um, episodes of The Abominable Team. You've been collecting. This is great. Mm, nope. It was sent to me by one of the aficionados uh, many years ago. Oh, really? And I have these few things as well. Obviously, they're not terribly well printed, those, but uh, yes. And do they bring? I mean, do they bring back any members? You've been working with the Yeti. Well, I've got to tell you, <laughs> the I think the Yeti costumes were a slight disaster, quite frankly. Um, we were in North uh, North Wales, in yep. Snowdonia. Uh, supposedly for the extraordinary snow fields and all that sort of thing. It actually rained like there was no tomorrow. 
and so these furry beasties were like a wet teddy bear and as they walked and slid all over the mud and God knows what, their costumes were flopping all over the place. Now, they were supposed to be robots mm. and with a certain mechanical, presumably, attitude. And in fact, because of the background, because of the weather, because of the terrain, um, it looked like a drunk teddy bear walking around. <laughs> so it was a slight joke um, at the time. And so you, of course, as designer, you would have gone with the unit to Wales. Everybody at the BBC and, and who worked in television at that time always seems to have good memories of going on location. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting, you see, because it, it, it's really in the early days, theoretically, of uh, film and television. In that because one is doing, say, preparatory work and maybe the beginning of an episode, say, on film at Ealing Studios, and then the rest of the stuff was, say, in the television centre. If you're a designer, you, go, you do both. You go up to the location. In those days, you didn't have a set decorator. You did everything yourself. And so the drawings, which maybe you had an assistant do, uh, and the build may possibly have been done outside the studios and then brought in. I, I believe that was uh, a particular thing was done in studio. And so you'd, you'd go backwards and forwards. And Snowdonia from White City was <laughs> a fair slug. Uh, and they did, I think, six days, six days shooting that day. So you'd go backwards and forwards. And of course, you'd have to make a decision because you want somewhere in the UK to stand for Tibet. But of course, it snows in Tibet. And you wouldn't have had the budget with Doctor Who to have covered the no. Welsh mountainsides in snow. Well, so Particularly when, because it was raining as well. So you just have to basically ask the audience to go, well, we're going to act Believe like this it, is Tibet. Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, think about it, think about it, visualise it, and that's what we've got. <laughs> and, I mean, was, was Doc 2 something that you were, were ambivalent about? Was it something that was, was a good challenge for a designer, or was it just another job? It was just, for me, it was just another job at the time. I'm, I'm not a great, um, I don't, or haven't followed Doctor Who over the years. So, well, sorry about that. No, that's all right. It's not compulsory. And we were talking about, as we came here, and the client yeah. kind of picked me up from the station, we were talking about Gerald Blake, the director, yeah. who seems yeah. to have been very popular. Yes. I think he enjoyed a drink and uh, was a, a fun guy. So, uh, And he was a fun guy while you were working with him. So, But as I said to you, 47 years ago is an awful long time to remember. Yeah. Well, and you said, as you said, you, you were, it was around the time that you went freelance. Now, you know... It, Working at the BBC as a designer could have been a job for life. Yes. Had, had the security of that ever appealed? No, no. not at all. No. Uh, immediately after that, I went freelance. I did, as I said to you, various commercials. I worked. I think I did the very first uh, drama production in Yorkshire. Um, so that's that sort of period. Uh, as a freelance, you just did what you could at the time, various programmes. But was was working at the B, I mean, did you learn on the job or was there, was, you know, because the BBC was a very different animal then, you know. The, it the, was, yeah. Uh, and, and do you think that was vital for people of your generation or in terms of learning your craft? Well, remember I was at the college and I, I did graphics and also TV. And so during the TV I had a, a very good tutor called uh, Haslam 
who actually gave us the basics of uh, television design. We also were allowed to go around the studios when I was a student, uh, various studios, and pick up all the interesting things. And then, of course, during the course, we went through all the factors that you need for uh, television design. Nowadays, of course, um, locations are San Miguel's. The BBC couldn't afford it at the time. No. Well, so, yeah, no, with Doctor Who, you're having to recreate a monastery from 1930s yes. Tibet. I mean, would you, are you, do you take things like research very seriously? Would you have looked in books and... You see a few books outside, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it was constant reference. Um, British Library, uh, ordinary libraries. So it was also reference all the way around. And of course, you've kept, you've, you've kept busy and you've done some amazing... For the, for the, if somebody was to look you up now online, mm. they would see differing credits in that they would see you credited as a designer and as art director. Mm. So for the lay people listening, what, what's the difference <coughs> between those two jobs and how do you flip <coughs> from one to the other? Art directors, in fact, uh, were around from the early 20s um, up till maybe the early 70s whereas the title of art director then changed. Um, people started to do other things. They started to do costume design as well as, uh, as the direction. In other words, one is a, a sort of almost like an architect. But, but in, in those terms, um, you understand, you have to understand in terms of construction. You also have to have a great background for detail in, in terms of props and dressing because you're controlling all that. So art directors were, in the early days, uh, and in feature films, uh, did everything in terms of design. Later, people wanted to be called production designers, because often certain people did costume as well, and other things within the film industry. And production designer seemed to be a good title, and it stuck. Um, they do the same job as the art directors. Art directors generally now deal with commercials um, and art directors often work for production designers. In other words, they're the practical people that interpret maybe a sketch on the back of an envelope, <laughs> depending on who the production designer is. Um, but they put uh, the ideas basically into three-dimensional practice. And, and how does your job liaise with the director? I can understand how actors have to liaise with directors in terms of guiding forms, but you have to you have to create a set, but does he then have to say, ah, but I won't be able to shoot if it's like that, so can we change that? I mean, how closely do you work with a director? Initially, when you provide you with script, if it says it's a feature film, um, you're given a script, you talk with the director about the script and the end, how, is, how the film should look. Um, if the cameraman is on board at that stage, then you deal with uh, each other and you have little meetings about the film should look, how it should look in any case. Um, you go around with the director and look at locations. Uh, once you've seen your locations or chosen your locations, then you know what you have to build in the studios. So often then you have a complement team, depending on the size of the film, you can have up to, say, 25 people in the art department uh, drawing, um, making models of the actual structures that you're going to use. And so from those models, which the director will then go through, depending on the skill of the director, 
whether he in fact sees his angles of shooting um, and you change your model. Yes, you can change your model around so that he knows he can get this shot or that shot. Um, and so it progresses throughout. And similarly, when you get to a location, when you're looking for locations, you try and tie up the shots on location with maybe the, the studio stuff. Um, storyboarding then comes into play as well, so that uh, a director will know he can do this shot here and then tie it up directly with that shot in the stage. So. And uh, of the directors, before we go into film, uh, when you, well, first off, when you do something like Doc 2, which is, yes, it had some location, but it's multi camera studio. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you're doing stuff on ITV, you're doing things like The Professionals, which is all on film. Mm -hmm. um, so not many purpose built sets there. Then you're taking existing dresses and dressing. Yeah, generally things. it was location. Um, most of the professionals were done out of camp, well, a, a place called Collet Court in Hammersmith. Uh, in which there was a large hall there where you built the occasional sets. Um, but generally it was on location. And you were, but I mean, the, the director we mentioned, Ridley Scott, was um, for Adam Adamant, was, was there a feeling that he was going to go on to be this, this major, major director of his time? Ridley was a bright boy. Uh, I knew him, I've known him for many years, of course. Um, yes, he was... Uh, He was gold dust, let's put it that way. And, and, and everybody knew at the time. That he was he was on his way up. Yes. And and Martin Campbell did some of the professionals and has gone on to do James Bond films and yes, Age of Darkness. Absolutely. And, uh, yes. And so are the directors that have the skill to be great, do, does that come at the expense of or or are they especially good at getting a team motivated and, and working on the show? It, it, I, I think that's an extraordinarily difficult <laughs> question to answer <laughs> because you can become very personal about it. Sure. Um, uh, certain directors have an image um, in their heads of how they want to approach a, a picture and how they see certain sequences. Uh, nowadays, they depend heavily on um, storyboard artists who can actually put those those thoughts onto paper. Ridley Scott is somebody else. Ridley Scott can draw, and he draws his own storyboards, or drew his own storyboards. I haven't, I haven't spoken to Ridley for a long time, uh, 15, 20 years. Um, but he could draw, and draw very well, and so any image that he thought about, he could then put down on paper, and use as a sequence so that he could actually show storyboards around, presumably, to his, uh, his crew. Spielberg worked totally with storyboards. Um, and uh, so at least you have something tangible to look at and relate to the rest of the crew around you. Uh, but then Spielberg would change them when he got to the stage in any case. Well, and of course, we're now mentioning, you know, big film names and films because having started in television... Um, you know, the, the list of film credits that you have is extraordinary, and some iconic ones like on Bugsy Malone. Yes, that's right. I was uh, the art director with Geoffrey Kirkland, who was the production designer, who also was a member of the design department at the BBC. He also did a couple of Doctor Whos. True. For Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Just before yours, actually. Really? Of, yeah, was it? A year before, yeah, he did. Right. The Highlanders and the Faceless Ones. Ah, uh, so. Uh, and Geoffrey, of course, 
um, was the production designer on Children of Men that I mentioned to you. Yes. Um, yeah. So. Yes, for children, which we did uh, off mic. Children of Men was was uh, the the last job to date uh, that you've done. Exactly that, and uh, as I'm a, an ancient, um, <laughs> I'm sort of retired. You're happy, so you're happy to leave it there? I'm very happy to leave it now, yeah. Yes, because Geoffrey Kirkland I saw on a documentary about Ridley Scott, and I think he also knows Daryl Blake, who I've interviewed for a book I'm doing about Quatermass. So you were all contemporaries. Darryl, well, you see, Ridley Scott, Daryl Blake and myself had a house together oh. <laughs> um, for a few years. Um, we also lived together in a house in Fulham. Um, the other place was down by the Rising Sun, actually. Um, so we all knew each other um, in those times. So let's talk about some of the films, I think, yeah. because they're. I get. I mean, had had that always been the end game? Was television a way to film, or was it less formally thought out and planned than that? No, I, I, you see, I started as an illustrator. Um, it's one of my drawings there, and these things behind you. Um, and you'll see some down, downstairs. So I started off um, as an illustrator at the Royal College, uh, progressed through TV, um, and was asked after I left, after doing, as I said, numerous commercials and, and freelance work in television as a designer, uh, I was asked to do help doing a film called Every Home Should Have One. Um, and that was the first, first film I was involved in. I was uh, the art director on that film. And uh, so ha then how how do you go about getting em employed for things like that? Do, do they sound out a designer? Do you meet with the director? And Yes, I mean, I, I, I didn't have an agent for many years, but, but it was always word of mouth in the early days. And uh, so you, you, people got to know your name and, and uh, who you were and what sort of character you were. Then there'd always be interviews with directors and producers. Uh, so you'd go along and uh, chat with the director, producer. Money was always uh, one of those wonderful things that uh, was <laughs> always under the table. We never talked about it. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, that's the way it went. Uh, and then finally I had a, um, an agent. And of course, you would never then talk about money with the director or the producer. It was always the agent who spoke, which was much better. That's what the agent's for, yes. Exactly, <laughs> to exactly. do all the embarrassing conversations. Exactly, yeah. So. <laughs> but something like Bugsy Malone, I mean, we take mm. it for granted now, because it was a film I sort of grew up with, but when, I, when you think, if you actually break it now, it's a film with kids playing adults, mm. with all the guns shoot shaving foam. That's right. Um, it's a, a period piece, but with, this, with music. I mean, it's an extraordinary... Thing and did you know it was going to work? No, of course not. No, no. It was done very quickly, in fact, in Pinewood. And uh, I mean, Alan Parker is, is such a nice man in any case, but he has this talent with, with kids. I mean, you know, I think he saw 3,000 kids um, up front. So, uh, no, it's, uh, it was fun to do. Um, I ran a small department. Uh, all the cars were sort of designed pedal pushes and all that, <laughs> uh, which was lovely. Arriving sort of five minutes before you turned over on them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's good fun. Young well, Jodie Foster. Yeah. Who, uh, I think was 12 years old at the time. 
extraordinary. Yeah, um, burns herself onto the screen there, doesn't she? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it was a good, good film. And you, I mean, I guess one of the the joys about doing film is the is the sheer eclecticism of the sort of stuff that you know, because mm. you go from the sort of interview with a vampire, mm -hmm. you did, and then Michael Collins, the both period pieces, but the atmosphere you're conjuring Very is different. different. Absolutely, yeah. So it's actually not just a case of um, design in terms of um, edifice, mm -hmm. but it's also in terms of feel. You are you are presenting, if not an emotion, but certainly a uh, an atmosphere. Yes, you're creating a sort of ambiance for, for the, the viewer, whether they're in a cinema or whether they're in their own armchair at home. Uh, and if you can create that, besides all the other dialogue stuff that, that goes on, I mean, you can only work, a film is only as good, or production is only as good as the script, let's face it, first actors. Uh, design is a background, generally. But the, the background creates the the character, the ambiance, the feeling that uh, actors project within. So, uh, yeah, I think it's an important, uh, important field. And that's obviously so. Neil Jordan and you were were um, yeah. Obviously, because you went from one to the other that's right. in in fairly quick succession. Mm -hmm. So if you have a if you have a relationship where you you're you're working well with somebody, that that does that that makes the work easier, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So. What what been if if you were to show a group of people work that you've done, take away enjoyment from it now, but that you just go, this is the these are the best things I did in terms of the work I produced. What what would it be, or is, I, it, is I that not in your character? I, I can't answer that one at all. Um, each each if you ask me what the the worst film was, okay, then <laughs> that would be something else. I, I've worked on this. Um, this amazingly dreadful picture called Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, yeah. in, in Kenya. <laughs> I've, is, se I've seen the poster. Well, it's, it was total disaster, really. Um, I think the uh, the producer had been a carpet salesman in Israel, <laughs> and but um, uh, had got a, a load of money together, uh, good for him, and, and produced a film. And uh, but the film was it was complete disaster throughout. John Gilliman was the director. Um, and uh, great fun to work on, but I think the the, the end result <laughs> result was fairly. Because you did a bit on Supergirl as well, didn't you? <coughs> yes, I did. That's an, another one that uh, is uh, is is not spoken of in the same breath as the other super films, shall we Absolutely say? Absolutely not. Yeah. And and do you have a preference when you look at again? So we're talking about some some you know relatively recent films that mm. that uh, did very well. Like, uh, you've got Angela's Asses and uh, Event Horizon. Obviously, one's a period. Downbeat and sort of poverty-stricken period drama. And the other one is is the future. So, sure. what's the biggest challenge? Getting period stuff right or inventing stuff from scratch? I th well, I think <laughs> I think uh, you're talking. One is on one hand, the other one is on the other hand. They're totally different. Um, the amount of research that goes into a science fiction film is quite extraordinary. Depend like. Uh, that picture you've mentioned. Um, I think the designer went to the States, uh, to NASA, and came back with, with vast amounts of detail. In fact, I believe that I, I went onto the picture um, a little later um, uh, because I think they were overspending. Um, nobody was, was holding them back, um, and they're spending too much money. 
So I was asked to go on and corral the department, so-called. And uh, it worked very well, eventually. But every detail, um, virtually one had to design. The designer did that, not me. I put it into, into a practical situation through the draftsman, etc. So chairs, everything is a design function. Whereas on the other hand, Angela's Ashes is basically a location. And we built the street on Angela's Ashes in, uh, in Dublin, on the site of the old, one of the old hospitals, which we flattened with bulldozers and then recreated with the street from many, many photographs. It was a compilation of photographs uh, that we used and then created the street. So on, other, on one hand, one is architectural, plus uh, the feel for the period. On the other hand, it's an interest in the future in terms of hardware, if you like. Um, totally different. So it's been quite a journey from, I mean, Doctor Who wasn't your first thing, but an early thing, mm. from, from, from Doctor Who in a BBC studio and bits in Wales. Um, it's gone back to Wales now. Uh, yeah, it's based in Cardiff. Yeah, it's the the, 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 yeah, the, the standing sets are all in Cardiff. Yeah. Um, through to doing um, feature films, so quite a journey, an, an mm. interest, an interesting career. One that were you always uh, satisfied and I've enjoyed. Had a, I've had a wonderful time. It's as simple as that. I've travelled the world, um, spent a lot of time abroad. Uh, we worked out that in five a period of say five years, I was away almost three years. Doesn't uh, marriages seem to uh, break on, under those circumstances? But uh, fortunately, mine's been going on and on and on. Um, so I've had a good life. You know, the States, Canada, Africa, all the Norwegian countries, uh, the Scandinavian countries. Um, far, well, probably just about every country in Europe. Plus uh, Yugoslavia, Hungary, Romania, and all that area of the world. Um, and it's uh, South Africa, Kenya. It's given me a good life. And now that you're not um, doing it for a living, can you, can you go back to the purely the enjoyment of art? Do you yes. still sketch and paint and all of that? Yes, uh, as you see, well... Around you, you will see various bits and pieces, um, which I, I then started to do, and I, I get back. I hadn't picked up a, a paintbrush for 40 years, uh, until 19, what was that, 1975, when I really finished. And so I started then painting. Uh, my family, of course. Mm -hmm. um, there'd be any people who would sit still for me, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but, but other than that, yes, drawing. And whenever I go away, I do a bit of sketching. It's, uh, it's good. And do you often get cornered about Doctor Who? No, not oh, at all. Thank you for allowing me to do so. <laughs> um, so, well, just the, the, the last two questions. It's only, great. only Mark Morris who actually um, is, the, is the one who's, who's brought it up before. Yes, cause, and because and, yeah. you are related to Mark. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, and it was through Mark that uh, we've done this, which I'm yeah. very grateful for. Um, so... Uh, You've very kindly given your time, and listeners, you're not paying, as you know. So uh, what charity would you like to benefit from this conversation? Anything to do with the heart.
anything to do with the heart. Okay. Um, and Doctor Who is 50 this year. Yep. It started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Can you remember where you were when Kennedy was assassinated? I was in the studios. Um, doing what? I have absolutely no idea. Can't remember. But that was 50 years ago this yeah. November. Uh, so, uh, and we're doing this endeavour for the Doctor Who fans who are listening out there, so what's your message, clever or otherwise, to the listening Doctor Who fans? Uh, carry on listening, is all I say, and if it's now based down in Wales, uh, good for them, and let's hope they do many more. Brilliant. Well, Malcolm Middleton, for your time and your hospitality, because we're at your house, thank you very much. Pleasure. Brilliant. <laughs> hope that was okay. Uh, well, I hope you edited it. I mostly edit my stumbly questions. Uh, but no, that's great, thank you. Uh, Charity wise, we're Sport for Choice, really, British Heart Foundation, www.bhf.org.uk, or Heart Research UK, which is heartresearch, all one word, .org.uk. Up to you, but if you can, please do. My thanks to Malcolm and to Mark Morris for setting up that interview. Next up, a seminal director of Doctor Who in the first of a two-part chat that is never less than entertaining. He's also the sweariest of the uh, Toby Hiddick's Who's Rams so far. Tune in for that, and in the meantime, don't be hurried to anybody, and have a nice time. Bye. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. So many eyes. So many people. The Rani Elite. Oh, incredible. This booth is actually smaller on the inside. The doors won't open. If you hang on just a moment. Doctor, what are you doing? Now, now, genius at work. Ah, that shouldn't have happened. say you've been rather a disappointment but very soon this will all be over for you thank you for the gun doctor perry but that's just it you're not perry are you you see you do know me after all i knew you would spit it out girl i can see it's on the tip of your tongue the ronnie subscribers get more at bigfinish.com